Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, I would ask how it's going, but say it like, Save Winona is currently trending on Twitter. Oh no, is it? Yeah, we we got or or something like that. Uh, we we've got uh, a desperate call for more viewers for one day at a time, uh, which was trending earlier today. Which is I very that. timely that we are discussing one day at a time season three. Which spoiler alert, it's great, guys. More on that later in the show. Um, but it's not a good time to be, uh, not a good day specifically to be <laughs> a TV fan or a fan of quality programming, though I know we're not as hot on Winona Earp as a lot of other people are. Um, I, I wanted to have our pre-show discussion be about how irritated I am at networks. In this case, specifically, I was thinking of Netflix, but also apparently sci-fi as well, um, turning suspense over whether they're going to renew their show that's doing well um, into articles and into fan tension and stress, um, turning the job of saving the show each year, in this case, one day at a time, into an ordeal for the fans and a responsibility for the fans rather than something that is the the purview of the show that the place that produces the show and the network that that owns the show. Um, are you as irritated as I am that the only show Netflix does this to is One Day at a Time? Yeah, immensely. Um, I think a lot of it boils down to the fact that as Netflix gets increasingly loosey-goosey with releasing numbers when they want to, and also we have zero way of verifying those, those numbers, so I always get really suspicious about their numbers anyway— but this whole thing with One Day at a Time, I saw that this morning and just went, oh, we're doing this again for some reason, even though I don't see why we're doing it again, because it doesn't make sense to me to do this every time. This has to be one of the cheaper shows um, that Netflix produces, mm-hmm. and I don't understand why we go through this when, like you said, every year... When A, it's probably cheap to produce, and B, when it's clearly critically and probably audience beloved by those who watch it, which is going to be an accurate statement for literally any Netflix show, since it's all narrow cast niche marketing. There's very little broad sort of broadcast-esque shows on Netflix, even though surprise one day at a time is exactly one of those kinds of shows which i can only assume is one of the weird metrics that they have is that this is a show that should appeal to everyone but doesn't or it doesn't fit their family block of programming which i feel like is in flux now as they shift away from like fuller house um so i don't i don't know what they're aiming for but i don't know why they're doing it and i don't like this onus of making the fans sort of like show us how much you love us type of thing it's just like yeah. no as as participants within this capitalistic system by watching the show we have done our part mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't you don't put out any other merchandising for us to buy the ergo i have done my part <laughs> yeah it's just very um you should be grateful that we like might make this show which profits us 
that we make money off of. You should Uh be grateful that we're letting you give us your Netflix money to create this show. It's what it feels like. And it's like the, this, like the, like you should, you're beholden to us. So dance puppets. Yeah. Um, And the fact that this is, that they do this to a show about a a, a Latinx family with a lot of, uh, of content that is like, like a queer friendly content and, and, socially important storylines like it i can't help but view it through some of that lens which makes it even grosser they don't do this to the ranch no they They don't don't do this to big mouth they don't do this to their other shows that are uh either similar form similarly formatted have to be at least as niche if not much 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 more niche of a show or they're shows that cost a lot more money. And this is a show that gets them critical praise and buzz every end of the year. It hasn't broken through to awards consideration. And I bitched about that last year. But it is constantly, uh, it's it's like 100% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. It's in the end of the year list. There's pl- like at least once a year, there's a spate of articles about how everybody loves Rina Moreno because she's a national treasure. Like this is a show that only does positive things for them. And that makes them look good for creating and supporting. And so it just makes it all the more galling when they they're like okay so netflix says they're they're going to cancel us unless you guys all watch it this week like fuck you netflix yeah yeah no and i think your point about that is really correct and i wonder how much of like this disparity is how they view one day at a time's audience as being somewhat more like socially engaged yeah. in terms of like social media use than something like the ranch where it has to skew both older and less sort of social media use, or at least in that way of directly dealing or directly engaging with the brand, quote unquote. Um, so as much, and I say this as someone who watches the ranch and likes it, um, mm-hmm. though I'm like way behind because my person is way is even more behind and won't let me watch until she catches up. But um, I, it, I do wonder how much of that is because of maybe one day at a time has a heavier social media impact and that they want to factor that in and see how much they get from it. But then that's still just a really bad way of doing this versus again, something like the ranch or something like big mouth, which you astutely point out doesn't have to go through this and got a Valentine's day special this year. Yeah. Well, and I mean, similarly, Winona Earp, I don't know exactly what's going on, but because uh, I just came out of teaching um, from I mean, working right before we we're going to record this and saw that people were tra- trying to make a trend uh, and succeeding. The Earpers, like they know their social media, succeeding in, in making like Save Winona or whatever uh, trend worldwide uh, based on like the like a, a cancellation threat. You don't get to do that sci-fi when you renewed the show like like right after the first episode aired last year. They renewed it for season four like practically during the premiere because they did the big Comic-Con thing just like they have the last year. You don't get to then threaten that you're going to take the show away unless everybody dances for you. I mean, at the very least, see the ratings for this next season or the, or maybe I, I mean, again, I'm I'm uninformed here. Maybe they're saying they're going to cancel it, even though they already renewed it. 
or cut back the order. I mean, I just this doesn't make sense. And again, it's it's calling out a very socially engaged and uh, this is a very another very queer supporting show with a with a very engaged queer fan base. And so having those two back to back, especially when we will talk about one day at a time and the the Finsta just of, of Winona Earp cosplay, like there's some crossover here that is particularly frustrating. Yeah, and I'm looking at like a news thing right now, just in like news, mm-hmm. and I don't see anything, yeah. which is weird. So I'm not quite sure what's going on, and I wasn't privy to seeing that kind of get started. Um, yeah, all this also just reminds me, Eminem is really upset that they canceled Punisher and mm-hmm. like added the Netflix account, and I just went, oh, buddy, that's th- th- this is not really super duper their fault. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah pay attention to the press um there uh marshall uh yeah. but yeah it's it's really weird i don't care for it but i'm also one of those people who doesn't really like fan campaigns to save shows um because well i think that they can have some impact i do generally feel like they're kind of limited and a lot of that is just because of all the other calculus that goes involved. A really loud fan base isn't necessarily going to carry you through, depending on your metrics. And I think that matters a lot more. And I know that there was one show that got canceled recently where one of the actors was just like, yeah, no, you can send in stuff, but it's not really going to make a difference. And I forget who mm-hmm. said it. Um but I was generally like, this is someone who knows what's up. Yeah. You can send in things, but like anybody who has renewed a show because of a fan campaign, it has not gone well the next season. So Star Trek is, you know, very famously the best example. And one of the early examples of this, they renewed it for a third season, but they also completely cut the budget. And so the they it wasn't a good quality. Maybe if it had been like, as like if the writing and the production values had been as strong as the earlier earlier seasons, like it would have done better, but it did not get a boost in ratings in the third seasons after the fans saved it. Same thing was true with Jericho and the nuts, you know, like when other, when shows have been brought back from the brink of cancellation, they almost never flourish. Um, a good example, contrary this to this is of course the season of Brooklyn nine, nine, um, which was less about the fans and much, much, much more about we want to be in the Mike Schur business. So I feel like that is where these things are successful. And when it's just a very passionate, um, small fan base, that, that's what can get you maybe a close, close out the whole thing movie like they did with Timeless. But it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't work. And so to put that, again, ma- making your fan base beholden, projecting that they should feel a sense of responsibility when you the people creating this or the people producing it are the ones that are closing the show i mean it just it's it feels very disingenuous yeah and i mean i'm scrolling through twitter right now and i'm not seeing anything really confirmed in any way shape or form from anyone um so maybe tomorrow there'll be something 
More on this story as it develops. But we have some TV to talk about. And more specifically, we have some one day at a time to talk about. So we're going to wrap uh-huh. up this this opening segment. I did hear from Vince, um, who wanted to know my thoughts on Umbrella Academy and very specifically Ellen Page's violin skills or lack thereof. I have not yet watched it, Vince. I intend to, but I ran out of time this week. I have not heard good things from people who have watched it. I, I mean, not necessarily about the show, but about the violin. Violining, um, but I will withhold judgment until I've seen it for myself, and I will report back next week. Have you heard anything about the violining on uh, Umbrella Academy, Noel? I didn't even know that she played the violin in it. I've only seen a couple of clips of it. My person's been watching it off and on this week. Um, so all I know is that there's a chimpanzee in it that talks. Yeah, I, and maybe it's not even Ellen Page. I think it is, but it might not be. It's just someone has like violin-related superpowers or something. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I will have opinions. Yeah, um, from what I understand, Ellen Page's character's powers are being suppressed or something. So maybe it's not her. Oh, yeah. Who knows? Well, I will. I don't know yet, but I will then. I will soon. Um, Now we will take a break and we will listen to this delightful, magical song from Documentary Now, which hasn't. It's from the uh, the the co-op episode, which hasn't aired yet, but they did it on Colbert, I want to say, or Seth Meyers this week. Uh, so we're going to listen to that because we're going to talk about documentary now in the next segment. And it's just it's really good. So we're going to listen to that. Um, and we'll be right back with our week in TV. Hello, Robbie. Hello. Welcome home, Mr. and Mrs. What is this? I'll tell you, this is just a package I've been holding. It's addressed to Mrs. Goldstein. What a co-op, what a lobby. Every slob is acting snobby, but you take a tip from Robbie. You should tip your doorman. The holidays are merry, all the secrets that I carry. One slip of the lip is scary, cause tomorrow you're not married. I open the door, get kids high fives. One, two, three, I open the door, and I watch your lives and the things you do. So you better tip me, cause I watch your lives. Take a look at last year's tipping, many tenants were just skipping. Out of town without no tipping, so my lip I am unzipping from AD. Golly gee, $20 and some wine, but sexy, lousy. I have a secret, Mrs. Klein. There's another Mrs. Klein. That was Richard Kind uh, just being hilarious on Late Night This Week, singing his song, one of his big songs from the co-op episode of Documentary Now. Is That is not this week's episode of Documentary Now, but it aired on TV this week, so I'm counting it because it's funny, and I can't wait to watch that episode. This week in TV, Noel's going to kick things off with Blackish Son of a Pitch. Then we'll both talk about Miracle Workers, 13 Days, and I'll have a few thoughts about the, the pilot as well, or the premiere, I should say. Then I'll talk about the documentary now premiere, Batchet Valley, and we'll both talk Supergirl, Menagerie, and we'll round things out, of course, with RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, Super Queen Grand Finale. So first up is Blackish. Uh, I'm a couple weeks behind, Noel, and I, I, apparently I should catch up. Well, that's actually kind of why I wanted to talk about it this week, Kate, is um junior's interning over at the agency and comes up with like this just kind of off the cuff sort of pitch um while in a meeting for a regional bank um that the client likes and then he becomes the spokesperson for the regional bank at least like voiceover wise uh because they like how he says the slogan that he came up with 
and Dre is horribly, horribly bent out of shape, shape about it. Like, is really putting down all of Junior's ideas about it, is very kind of aggressively upset um, about the fact that Junior did this. And while there is, um, and succeeded in doing this, and basically got lucky, but also has convey has transitioned basically into sort of a position, basically. And while this is really sort of standard fare that Dre gets bent out of shape about something, everyone else sort of deals with it, it's also just getting really tired five seasons in. And I'm really kind of like, Black doesn't feel as essential to me this season, and I'm really struggling with that. Um, there's also within uh, Son of a Pitch, um, Bo trying to convince the cousin that they've taken in to go to a magnet school or to end up going to the private school that everyone else has gone to. And even that, like, Bo feels much more over the top than she sometimes does in terms of writing, which is weird. And so I've just been really kind of struggling with Blackish this season, and Son of a Pitch just kind of drove it home of, like, I'm just kind of tired of Dre getting really angry at Junior a lot. I'm just, I'm tired of it. It never, they can't find anything new to say and their relationship never really feels like it develops in any way, shape or form past these kind of resistive sort of conflicts between them. And while the episode is mostly set up for the stinger or the tag, I should say at the end in which Junior confides that maybe he doesn't want to go to college at all now, um, is setting that up for, like, whatever large-scale conflict is about to happen over the back half of this season. But it's also, like, I don't know that I care a whole lot, and I'm really struggling with that, because I really like Blackish in general. But this season, I don't, I don't, I don't feel it as much, and I'm, I'm trying to suss out why. And I know that you be, you're behind, so I wasn't quite sure how much of this was just, um, the, um, Anderson of it all, or just the fact that you were also feeling some similar vibes from the show, or just you, you had other priorities. But I'm just like, I'm not running to it the way I used to when it hits the DVR. Yeah, um, it's really tiresome to be five seasons in and still having cookie cutter oh no we all deal with dre's toxic masculinity storylines um yeah like and they've done that a lot this season they've done it a lot and also when you were describing this it was like wait but shouldn't he be really proud of him and excited for him that was that's what would make sense if this wasn't a sitcom where we have certain beats that we always hit just based on the characters like you'd think he would actually be excited that his son was succeeding in a field where they could connect to you know, at least on some right, level. Exactly. Because, like, yeah. the, usually the tension is that they have nothing in common and nothing they can connect on. So, Andre, yeah. heaven forbid, has to go out of his comfort area to connect with his son because, at, you know, previously at least, he's the adult and his son is the child. So, it is the adult's responsibility to, to try to connect with the son rather than expecting the son to be interested in the dad's job. Um, yeah. So that, that's disappointing. That storyline. And like the part, the parts of the show that I still really enjoy and connect with are never the Andre parts. Um, it's when they take on social issues. It's when they tackle ideas. And that was really what strengthened and, and solidified the show from the very beginning was it was this start of 
issues-based TV, or, or I should say a return to, let's be very clear here, a return to Norman Lear-style issues-based uh, episodic storytelling that we also saw in um, the uh, Carmichael show that we saw in the, you know, one day at a time, right away from the beginning. Like, this sort of, let's take a topic, instead of having our, you know, plots driven by, like romantic entanglements or driven by character beats. Let's take an issue and then see how our set of characters feel about it, respond to it and how it influences their lives. How like, let's look at a different issue and see how that intersects with our characters rather than starting from the characters and then coming up with storylines for them. Um, and then of course you they depending on what they're interested in exploring, you build out different story plot threads and storylines that make sense within that. But it, the best episodes of the show have come back to that thread of we now have these five seasons worth of fleshed out characters that we hopefully understand and know and feel like we can really connect with. And how does that shape the way that they view the world and these issues that are part of how we all interact with the world and these issues that so few TV shows are actually wanting to discuss. So when they just do really straightforward like oh dre doesn't understand his son things again yeah you know, it really loses its its impact also i don't believe that junior doesn't want to go to college at all like he's the kind of kid who would go who would, couldn't wait to go to college and would go to college and flourish there yeah yeah and i mean i like the gap year kind of idea as a concept of something that he would maybe do Sort of, but as mainly just in a way to keep him around on the show. It's but, just really, it smacks of, we like this actor. Right. And we already lost Zoe, and we can't give him a spinoff. <laughs> yeah, we can't lose this energy on the show and this, like, kind of middle point between yeah. the kids on the show. So we're going to come up with reasons for him to still be there, which, right. no. Which, again, I think works as a gap year, but if this whole concept of he doesn't want to go to college, then it's like... Well, then he, Dre's, reasonably, Dre would not let him stay, um, is the next step in that, to which it's like, well, but he's always just going to be around the house then. This is just going to be weird, and you're contorting yourselves into weird positions. Yeah, and I mean, just, just have him have some reason to transfer to a school that's nearby. Yeah. Like, there's no, and then, like, and because he doesn't have a scholarship anymore, because he gave him a scholarship for the gap year or whatever. Instead, he's going to live at home to save on money because of all the, like, the, these other things. There's no reason you couldn't do that. Give him a love interest, and that's, and so he's staying in town for a girl. Like, yeah. there are other ways you could do this, and they would be more interesting. Also, if you want to go to the maybe he doesn't want to go to college thing, you shouldn't have done such a great episode when he went to visit Howard. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, that's disappointing. I heard something about, like, the previous episode had a subplot about Dre being toxic toxic about um, somebody's girlfriend driving them. Yes, that was also a Junior episode where Dre and Pops both were just like, Junior, why are you letting your girlfriend drive you around? That's not okay. And it's just, it was an exhausting episode as well. Like, I yeah. was just going through that and I was just like, no, this is not okay. And it ends with... Dre sort of feeling like he's the best feminist of all time. Of course he does. Because of how he supports um, Bo, which I just went, do you 
sometimes. Um, but also like also supporting Diane in terms of being the gender twisted lead in Death of a Salesman and how he was very much not okay with that over the course of the episode. But then once he saw her, he was totally fine with it. I just went, no, not buying it. No, no. We just know you're scared of Diane as everyone is and should be. As they should be. Is Kenya Bear still in charge? I don't think so. I think he's. I don't think he's in. I don't he, think he's involved he in this season. Netflix, he left for Netflix, right? which is what I think we're kind of experiencing here. But I, I think that's what's happening here. Is like we we've gone a little rudderless without a yeah. stronger hand at the um whatever the thing is that steers the boat, which I think is a rudder. But yeah. I know that there's another name. <laughs> I, I was just going to go with wheel, but sure, that works. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a, probably a fancy nautical term. Um, yeah, and, and just losing sight of what the core of the show is. Yeah. And it's not antics, and it's not Andre is a terrible father. Like, that's that's not interesting. Or Dre, I should say. Is, like, that's not yeah. what the show is when it's at its best. So, it is still, I mean, you still have this fabulous cast and Anthony Anderson, who's a good actor and also accused uh, of rape, um, which I will be caveating with whenever I talk about him. Yeah. Um, so, like, there's no reason it shouldn't be better. So it comes down to the writing. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I, I will probably catch up in this next week because um, I'm curious now. But, um, yeah, it just it kept getting bumped down. It was more important for me to catch up with Gronish, which I've been enjoying quite a bit yeah. this season, than to to catch up with Blackish. So that's why yeah. I'm behind on it. Yeah. And this week's Gronish is actually pretty good. Um, I like to eat, and we haven't been talking about it a lot, but we should probably circle around to it soon. Yeah, we can talk about it next week and, and see yeah. how they're doing with the season. They've certainly, they've done a good job. And, and I'm a little leery about where they're going with uh, Professor Shane. Which I don't. I know that's not the character's name. It's just the actor played Shane on the L word. <laughs> so, well, you're um, really not going to like the ending to this week's episode, then. <laughs> oh no, I know. I've seen oh, it. Okay. Uh, I, I'm I'm leery about that. I don't yeah. like it. So we'll see what happens next. Um, but for now, let's go on to Miracle Workers. Thirteen days. So, um, okay. Here's the thing. Oh no, Kate. I fell asleep watching this like three no! times. No. Really? I was very tired, though. Okay. And I was just like, this is fine. Oh, I wanted to like it so much more than I did. And I like some of what Basemi is doing, but mm-hmm. it also feels kind of quirky gimmicky. Sure. More I than I was that. expected. I was hoping for more it to be more grounded. I also I mean, I enjoy the whole ensemble. I feel like they're setting it up to one for one where like... Like we're gonna have the the angels get together by the end, mm-hmm. right? Which is not interesting to me. Um, but I really enjoyed what Dan Radcliffe was doing in the first episode. And you're right; he had this has the right like manic energy, like been alone too long. <laughs> uh, and I so I was really enjoying that part of it. But like I don't remember either. The episode is jarringly edited and like takes these leaps ahead. Like for example. Did you shave your beard? Yeah, I shaved my beard, like out of nowhere. Or I fell asleep and missed some of the connections because I remember remember it feeling pretty, like disjointed. Um, so do, I just need to watch it again. Is that what it is? Well, I I don't want to recommend that you watch something again that you think is just kind of fine. I don't want you to, I don't want you to put yourself through that. Um, 
I do agree that they're almost certainly setting up a one-for-one between the two angels and our two lackluster humans. Um, I can't wait to see which angel has a hairy chest that seduces one of the other angels, though. Um, (laughs) That guy is not okay. He's not okay. Um, But... And so it can feel a little pad in that sense, I suppose. Um, I just think it's deeply funny, even though I do think that the God subplot, B-plot in this episode is not particularly good. Um, It's just like, as as much as I dislike Bill more, um, uh, jokes about his penis are just kind of dull. Um, Yeah. I would have much rather enjoyed something devoted to the trying all the gumbos type of thing and then mining that for something as opposed to blowing up Bill Moore's penis, um, pumping it 15,000 times. I don't know if the show is actually going to explore how, again, I mean, there's a three line here with their conversations, but how toxic this god is. Yeah. Um. And like if they're if they're steering into an examination of corporate culture and CEO and all that stuff, which would inevitably have to lead to they solve it, they they get the 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 couple together and he doesn't care. He's gonna blow up the earth anyway because he never was gonna do. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, and if they are, then that's interesting. That's interesting, I guess. But I like I feel like that's a different show. Or then, then, then I don't know how the tone is working. Maybe you know, going from this very controlling, sinister god presence in all of the, like the hey, it's his like that stuff, which is spot on, but a much darker take than what we're getting in the the helper angel subplot or like portion of the show. Right. Sure. 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 Yeah, I can see that. I do think that's maybe what they're going for. It's it's hard to tell mm-hmm. right now. We're only two episodes in, but we also only have five left. Yeah. Um. So it's sort of it, it it'll have to come together real fast in that regard. Yeah. I'm generally okay with that. Um. But we'll have to see how it like fleshes out over the next five episodes. I guess that tonal difference is not bothering me as much. I mean, I'm definitely watching the rest of it. Don't get me wrong. If only for uh, Radcliffe uh, to see what drew him to this. Because he's yeah. one of those actors that, I mean, he's got Harry Potter money. He's got, like, key money forever. Right. He right? only picks stuff that he wants to do at this point. Yeah, he only picks things that really interest him. So even if I don't, when I don't, I haven't seen several of his films that he's done um, recently. But I only hear in- very interesting things about them so i'm guessing that there is more to this that really you know it drew him in and his performance has been very good but semi yeah. is doing a thing very well it's just you know i'm not as interested in it as i hoped to be um sure. and and the other supporting players are fun as are fun too so like there's like this could easily pivot for me and then i'm like super back on board um, yeah. Also, if I'm not exhausted <laughs> and like like getting over a cold when I'm watching, that will probably help too. Um, but yeah, I was hoping to to connect with it more immediately. So so we'll see. I mean, again, what I keep coming back to, TBS has not let us down. I don't think anytime right. recently, right? I mean, other than I mean the the detour, which needs to like yeah. get back on track. But 
<laughs> amusingly I, yeah oh my god i'm sorry i'm so sorry everyone i'm so very sorry for that <laughs> but uh but yeah other than that one i feel like they've really done well with all of their comedy development so so yeah i'm, I'm certainly on board and i hope to like the next one more i'm sorry i feel bad <laughs> no it's okay and like the upside is is that you've at least watched these two so now you have a new pedagogical pedagogical tool for teaching which is rewarding your kids with mustard packets do a good job get a mustard packet <laughs> well i do stickers but yeah yeah no that is the thing uh yeah i don't think that would work for most of my kids but who knows i haven't tried it yet um other things i haven't tried uh whatever they're doing over in batchet valley which is the documentary now premiere it was a two-part premiere it's just the uh it's their send-up of wild wild country which did you watch that no I did not watch that one either, um, but but you know I heard about it. I read like yeah. the synopsis of what happened and everything. Um, so this apparently is a I would based only on the all the other documentary nows that I've watched, which have all been fantastic, and the ones where I have seen the source material. It's been like shockingly hilariously accurate and like faithful um so I, I assume that this will be another in that in that vein uh i really enjoyed some of our cameo appearances um michael keaton plays a big part in this which is delightful um owen wilson plays a significant role as well but i was less engaged with what he was doing um he he was actually more of a side figure than i would have anticipated but um at a certain point it just kind of becomes Michael Keaton main character, uh, main narrator talking head, um, which I was not prepared for, but delighted by. Um, and just the way that they maintain on this show, their um, loving tribute of the source material while pivoting it. In, in this case, giving everyone conjunctivitis, um, giving every pink guy instead of food poisoning. Um, it just, just delightful and super hilarious and entertaining the ending um the way that they like send it off with a happy ending um is delightful and it's just really ridiculous and i i love it so this is a really fun start to what i'm sure will be another really entertaining season and uh yeah it's just it's such a weird show that could only <laughs> exist from the minds of a bunch of comedy writers that everybody already respects and likes and wants to work with and in the era of peak TV. Um, and I'm so glad it does. Well, that's great. I'm, I, I swear I'm going to catch up on it at some point. <laughs> I mean, you don't even need to catch up. You can just like look at a synopsis. Right. I can just dive and in. Just like right, pick yeah. an episode that you like, do, do you know Grey Gardens? Uh, of course I do, Kate. Of course I do. Come on. Okay, well then you then just watch their Grey Gardens episode because it's hilarious. Like you can because because there's no through line at all that you possibly could need. So like, that's true. That's super fair. Yeah, that's super duper fair. Just pick a topic that interests you or a documentary that you've that you've seen or you are familiar with and see their version of it. Like if you know Nanook of the North, watch their version, which is of course insane. I know. Nan well, Kate, I have a bachelor's in film. Of course, I'm, I've seen a nook of the north. I, that's what I'm like. But that's what I'm saying. Like these are really. There's a lot of really prominent, very well known. Like I have not seen, like shameful admission, I have not seen either of those documentaries. But of course, I know who they are. And when people didn't know who Little Edie yeah. was uh, in season six of Drag Race, I was like, 
what? But you're on Drag Race. How do you not know Little Edie? I mean, I know Little Edie and I'm me and I haven't even seen it. So like, of course, of course, Jinx won a Snatch Game with Little Edie. She had to. I, I, I think she did. Anyways, <laughs> the point, but the point remains, that was a very good, that was a very good uh, Snatch Game. But um, yeah. the point remains. That you don't don't feel any pressure to like catch up with it. Just like the next time you're looking for something, you know, off the beaten path yeah. or funny, just just search out one that you know for yeah. a, a, now, a documentary you're familiar with. Is this on Netflix? Yeah, yay, nay. I can't. Remember. I don't. Well, it's IFC. Yeah, I that's don't. Why I can't remember. Remember. Yeah. I want to say yes. But I want to say yes too because I think they have a number of IFC shows. But yeah, because that that would be the only way I'd be able to watch it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, if you do, I would love your thoughts on any episode that you watch, because okay. uh, you know you have a degree in film, unlike <laughs> me, who just has seen a lot of TV. Um, but uh, for now, we will let's go pivot into a very TV episode, and that is Supergirl's Menagerie. The the see, I mean, don't get me wrong. If I like compare the TV I watched as a kid. Um, and teen to that CGI snake thing, <laughs> right? I would be super impressed uh, if I saw that. But, but like, it's so, like, when she sends the snakes out, it's so TV. Um, and, uh, in the, both the reason that people make fun of TV, but also the reason that I love TV so much, because it can yes. just be this cheesy and none of us care. Um, what did you think of, of menagerie well i love that you said opened with that because that's exactly why i wanted to talk about this mm. is because of how just deliciously good bad that whole thing was with the alien symbiote snake thing of like no this is this is not great but yet i love it because it mm. feels very campy and silly and vaguely low budget that you can believe that we're just going to knock these snakes away with the big heavy staff or something and we're all going to be cool with that. And it's just, it's delightful and silly. And that I like Supergirl when it's delightful and silly. Um, which is why, like, I love all the Brainy stuff in this episode and all the Neonal stuff with Brainy. Um, that it's just, it's really, when it leans into that lightness, it's really, really good. Um... So, and I forgot entirely, this is kind of telling, I forgot entirely about Agent Liberty. Um, and I don't mm -hmm. know if that's because of the break or just because the show just also kind of forgot about him for a few episodes and understandably so, uh, cause they had significantly larger fish to fry, um, what with the whole mind wiping and the memory wiping thing, which still hasn't been undone, which is the restraint is so great on this show but it's just generally i'm we're still got a whole half of the season left to go we still have the whole red krypton thing to take care of with the markovians and their supergirl um which i imagine will come back to the surface when lex reappears um yep. but yeah, I'm just I'm just generally sort of like enjoying the show a little bit right now. And I just wanted to check in and say, I'm enjoying the show. I would also like Legends of Tomorrow to come back, but that's not happening for another month. <laughs> yeah. No, this is a fun episode. Um I think it's again also very telling that we are not talking about the stupid part of the episode. Mm -hmm. Um but 
the but Ben Lockwood has been a terrific villain for them and very well pr- written and performed. Um, the stuff we get with his son is appropriately disturbing. Yes. Um, and and the way that they have pivoted that from a very stable, normal, uh, like heads on their shoulders correctly seeming family yeah. to where we are now. They've done they did the work over the course of the, yes. the show and over the course of the season. So like I totally buy what we get in this episode. I think it's very well done. Um and uh yeah and the stuff with like you know how much I love all the Brainy and Nia stuff. So that that's fabulous. And uh that takes us oh oh and the Jean stuff is good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm even excited about like the League of Villains thing we have lining up. That that that's good times. But um, the Lena and and Jane stuff is just it's no no one no one cares. The only reason we care is because they're doing their work so that they can pivot to evil Lena Luther. And I'm not. I'm just so not here for that. Yeah, I'm dreading it too. I'm. I just. I. I'm not excited about it. I'm not excited about the buildup. Um, and it it frustrates me that they've sucked Lena into a we don't know what to do with her hole, which is the hole that James has been in for seasons mm-hmm. now, and now we've cast Lena into that hole as well. It's just like, but but no, she's but she, she's she's one of the she, best parts of the show. She she was one of the best parts of the show, and now I'm just like. Someone save Katie McGrath from this narrative pit that they've just tossed yeah. her in. Someone give her a ladder, please. Um, please, so... just establish her as bi and put her in a relationship with Alex is what the fans want. But that's not why they should do it. They should do it because those two have insane chemistry. It would make everything more complicated, not less. And it would give us an excuse to spend more time with all the Danvers sisters and Lena. Oh, now that's all I want. Right? It would be great. Any other thoughts on on Supergirl or or Manchester Black or or you know apparently uh, Dreamer can fly? I didn't know this. Yeah, I didn't. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I didn't know Dreamer could fly. Um, but everyone can fly. Um, I am excited about Manchester Black coming back with uh, their version of the Elite, if only because it means we get more of these snake effects. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, the Elite are just really deeply unpleasant in the comics. Um, so I'm curious about how they're going to um, uh, transition them into this sort of configuration here in the show. Yeah, I know nothing about them, so we will see. Our last episode for this week in TV is Drag Race All-Stars Super Queen Grand Finale. And when we last recorded, I had seen everything but the very end, and I thought it was very clear that <laughs> Jokes Monet on you, Kate. was gonna win um and you were that's right the narrative they built <laughs> and i was right but i was also wrong what did you think let's start with that what did you think of the double crowning at the end here i really my my main concern with the double crowning is where did you have an extra 100k lying around show well, uh <laughs> and clearly they did not have it when they filmed this because there have been other seasons where they filmed a you both win ending that they didn't use right and they obviously did not film a you both win ending here so they did not anticipate having that money yeah no the editing is very clear that these were two sequences shot separately and then sort of stitched together with a bad voiceover 
with a um, bad voiceover from you, who obviously yeah. was not in the same room. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's really, yeah, I don't know what it was. And I don't know why they did this, um, apart from, obviously, yeah, I just, I don't know what the thinking is. But I, I generally think that this just sort of cheapens the all-star sort of concept, and they need to stop doing it for a while. But I already went on about this last, last week, so I'm not going to repeat myself. Uh, what I will say is that I am glad that Monet won. Um, I don't mean to that for to sound like air quotes because Monet was really, really good in this episode. Like, really good. She won good. this episode. She yeah. won I this mean, episode. You, you can argue whether she won the season, but she yeah. definitely won this episode. Yeah, no. I mean, like, her runway look is amazing. Like, it's super good. It's super mm-hmm. duper good. And the other reason why it worked so well is that there's a really clear through line between that runway look and her super queen outfit being a um, uh, Black Panther inspired sort of look. And so I really liked the through line that happened there and that planning that happened there because I always like when the two looks sing in some sort of way and that really happened here. And so as much as I also really like Trinity's runway look... The Monet just oh. won this episode. Gorgeous. And I don't, I mean, I'm assuming you didn't watch the other, like, uh, webs things, right? Mm-mm. Okay, no. Okay, so that, tr- that Trinity look is a direct, uh, like, copy or homage to a, des- a Chinese designer, I want to say. Okay. Um, who, who has, like, a couture gorgeous gown, like with that same like blue and white kind of in that same design and pattern, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. silhouette and everything. But Trinity's not only rips away the teacups, it rips completely away to a bodysuit. Like oh, so that's it cool. it has it has like five different tearaway reveals. And there wasn't her original finale look that she was gonna do. Mm-hmm. Um it was she had it in case she needed it for like a, a lip sync. Okay. And that and then that's you know, so then she was gonna do that. So that's why she had it, but I'm so glad that she like I wanna see that first of all. I don't yeah. know how, but I want to see that. Um and I'm glad that she used it for her finale look because it is stunning. It is gorgeous yeah. and and so perfectly drag and camp. Like this mm-hmm. flawless, gorgeous thing, and then tear away the bodice and you've got the teacups spilling the tea and like the Per- the perfect dose of sense of humor, uh, deflating everything, defla- deflating the self-importance, and, like, ridiculous, silly, you know, on-the-nose camp. Like, it, it's it's such a good blend and such a good marrying of the pageant world where she started to the comedy world that she has, like, transitioned into more in, at least, her drag race persona. Yes. Um, it's just... and And gorgeous she looked stunning um they all looked fabulous but like that that's like an iconic i think all-stars look certainly an iconic finale look yeah i i would agree with that just the entire look is really polished and then the reveal of the teacups is just delightful and Mm -hmm. even if it's like a very heavy um ripoff of that designer's aesthetic that's kind of what drag culture is supposed to do and is reflected and repurpose it and refract it in some way through a different sort of lens, through a different sort of uh, perspective. And so doing that, I 
is totally acceptable to me. Um, so I'm okay with that as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the, like, the, a bunch of the queens, very specifically uh, Naomi, have yeah. done a lot of very specific, yes. and Trinity actually too as well, very specific fashion references. That's part of drag too. Yeah. So like that's not a knock against it at all. And especially no. when you take that, that drag twist to it, that's like even better. So yeah, no, it's it was, they looked stunning. They all looked amazing at the end. Um, I liked, um, you know, I really enjoyed Monique, particularly in her podcast segment, I thought, mm-hmm. she, I thought she crushed the interview and like in a way where you're like, okay, I need the next like, like hour of this story. Cause there's, you know, if you feel like you really know Monique and you, and any of these Queens at this point in the season and, and, you know, into all stars um, that you, you've got a good grasp on them and you're like, Whoa, there are just chapters and chapters we haven't gotten with her yet uh, that I look forward to, to hearing more about through various mediums. Um, but that, like finding out that she was uh like three hundred pounds and leading the pray the gayway ministry at her church, like that is like that that's a huge thing to drop in the finale. Yeah. Was that I feel like she'd mentioned that in her season, but I can't remember. It's um, possible she did. Yeah. But yeah, here's where I confess that um I didn't pay attention to any of the podcast segments. Um, Uh I was talking to my person about other things, uh, about the show while the podcast segments were on. Um, so I was just like, I think we were talking about like all the choreography stuff that was going through, um, and that whole thing about that. Um, so we didn't like listen to any of the podcast segments. Most of it was pretty slight. Right. And that's typically what happens with the podcast stuff is like, it's super slight. So it's just like, it's just a plug for the podcast. Yeah, basically. Um, yeah. Did you have any thoughts on Naomi or Monique uh, and and their, you know, them getting all the way to the, the end and how they did or any thoughts on their looks? Yeah, um, Naomi's um, Super Queen look was really good, I thought. Uh, super video game inspired um, and generally, like, accentuated all the right assets, which is just her face and her legs. Um, yeah. in terms of what's going to work for this. So it worked, looked really, really good. Um, Monique's was, f- uh, good, but it just didn't like really stand out against everyone else's either from as good as, um, Monet's or Naomi's was, or as just weirdly bad as Trinity's was. Um, just, <sighs> Trinity's just looked super cheap and it really bothered me. Um, so yeah. And as for both of them getting to the end, I think it's, I generally, I genuinely think that it, Monet definitely deserved to be here. Um, and Naomi kind of proved that she deserved to be here, but after just coasting through so much of the season by being really safe in the middle, um, stepping it up at the end just seemed a little calculated, but again, I think that we're seeing that Naomi more than anyone, I think, um, internalized a lot of, like, strategy and approaches to Drag Race that maybe the other contestants have not just because of her age of, like, I grew up watching this. Um, so I have a whole, like, Survivor-esque, grew up watching Survivor-esque sort of approach to this that I don't think a lot of the other queens come to the show with. Yeah. I will, though, get on my soapbox 
and say and repeat uh-huh. once again that Naomi was in the top for the first half of the season. She was like number three for the first like four or five challenges. Um, and then was then started to 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 stumble with the with the roast and uh yeah but she was like a she was a strong number three for for the first several challenges but for whatever reason they were calling that safe because she wasn't one of the top two um and i feel like that is not fair then i think she struggled more than they said than they admitted in the second half of the season so um yeah but but i mean she earned her spot in that finale through her dramatic elimination <laughs> of Manila, you know, and I, I Manila should have been in the, there at the end, but she wasn't. And since she wasn't, you know, I think it was a a good uh, a good set of winners, a good set of finalists. They they all really built and escalated as the season went along, which is what you got to do um, on Drag Race and delivered. Yeah. So it was, I think it was a overall a satisfying and strong season of the show. It got a little, uh, it, it really wobbled there towards the end because of the Latrice of it all. If Latrice had delivered more then I would have been all for the drama, but because she didn't, uh, I was just grateful she wasn't in the finale. Yeah, and I didn't, I sort of disagree regarding, like, the overall arc of the season, just because it relies too heavily on twists, including its ending. Um, And it boils largely down to, again, like, what I discussed last week is whether or not this is a competition or sort of a brand audition. And the answer is that it's mostly the latter with a little bit of the former mixed in. And that needs to be more incorporated, I think, if that's going to be the case going forward, Um, especially in how these contestants position themselves. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, So we'll see. But I'm excited for Miss Vangie next week and starting off season 11. Yeah, I am, too. I'm I'm going to keep going um so we'll see we'll see like i'm we'll see how I'm, long you last <laughs> we'll see how long i last i'll probably get through the whole season because my person's um pretty excited to watch more of this after watching mm-hmm. all stars um and we like watching television together but then we need a nice long break yeah the then we'll all-stars. definitely need a nice long break except for the fact that they'll roll out rupaul's drag race kids um <laughs> and um or RuPaul Drag Race Jr. is what it'll be. Yeah, yeah, that's what it'll be. That was Drag U, by the way. Which oh, right. Lasted for like a season or two, um, and did not take off the way that that Ru would have liked, and that I would have liked. I, I still haven't seen it, but the premise is like, uh, I think it's like drag queens helping insecure teenagers. Okay. Or something like that. Um, but yeah, which sounds like a excellent premise, but um, yeah. Anyways, maybe that'll happen again at some point. But but for now, what wins your week in TV? Oh, good question. Um, Fresh Off the Boat and Speechless both had really solid Valentine's episodes. Lewis loves love, Kate. He loves love. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, mm, you know, even though we didn't discuss it, I think I'm going to give it to Bob's Burgers this week just because of how really delightfully ridiculous... All of the Bruce stuff was. Bruce was, yeah, that was very ridiculous. <laughs> I think it's a good way to put it. Uh, I also, I'm going to throw some little, I'm sorry, Little Louse in the Prairie, which was 
very entertaining and uh, appreciated June Diane Raphael as we always do. Um, super fun in that role. Drunk History also have, has stepped it back up the last couple of episodes. Um, so this episode was about drugs and um, had uh, it was the two stories. So the one story for the whole time did not work for me, but the splitting it up into only two was pretty effective. Um, so we'll see. Next week is Femme Fatale, so I'm excited for that. But um, let me see. What am I going to give it to? I mean, it's, it's it's tricky for me because I didn't – I watched Drag Race like twice in very different settings. So mm-hmm. it, it's not really like an accurate, you know, comparison point for me. I mean, the real winner here for me is One Day at a Time Season 3, which I watched this week. So I guess I'll give it to that. Yeah. No, I think that's super duper fair. So I'll do that. And speaking of, let's listen to a trailer for One Day at a Time Season 3, and we'll be right back with our spotlight on it. I want to make an announcement. I love that. Well, that settles it. We must have a party. Oh my God, there's so much to talk about. I got divorced. Stronger now. I tried the Brazilian blowout on 07. Did not like the upkeep. I love your curls. Always have. Always will. identifies as non-binary, I want to call them by a term that's more acceptable and inclusive. Oh, you know what I always thought was so cute? Better half. I don't want to call Sid half a person. (gasps) What if I tell people you're my better whole? (laughs) You're not saying that. I cannot believe you were smoking pot. I wasn't smoking, I was vaping. Well, in that case, all good. Really? No! Look, at some point, you're going to have to start trusting Alex. Tons of successful people have smoked weed. Barack Obama, Steve Jobs, Oprah. Unemployed, dead, and Gail just said that to get ratings. I like a guy who can handle his business. My son said I'm overprotective. Oh, please. Cubans invented it. My son's never been in a public pool. I make my kids wear flip-flops in our own shower because I don't know where we've been. Life is too short. We're going to have differences, but what does that matter? We're family. Things are finally starting to look up. I don't know how, but I'm sure this is my fault. All right, let's grab some snacks from the minibar. That was a trailer for the third and hopefully not final season of Netflix's One Day at a Time. Um, Obviously, this has been in our top 20s uh, for the last... last two two years my top five both the last two years um it's a show that we love and that is in constant fear of cancellation by netflix um but we're not going to focus on that we're instead going to focus on the show itself uh noel how did this season work for you overall uh did it live up to what season one and two were able to deliver and are you interested in the directions that they seem to be going for some of these characters um so 
I just really enjoy season three. I think it's really, really good. I previewed that last week in saying that I just thought it was a really strong season. Yeah. And I, the as I go back over episode ti- summaries and titles, I just go, oh, no, this was... This was really good. Like, there's a reason my person and I basically just watched this entire season in a sitting. Um, Not quite, but close. Really close. And it's that it's really funny. Um, The episodes generally are, across the board, I generally think pretty darn strong. Um, And I think that there's just a lot of really good sort of character development across this especially for schneider in the back half but also um for alex sort of across things but especially by the end and so there's just i think there's a lot to really like in these episodes and i think that they play really nicely with different sorts of things like in the first time and not like shifting perspective but filling in doing slightly different things narratively um work really well followed and then that episode comes on the heels of anxiety attacks and that episode is really well done as well from an aesthetics level i really appreciated it also god yeah acapella singers so Mm -hmm. good just that entire joke was so (laughs) good kate um but no, I think that there's just a lot of generally really good stuff here. And if there's one weak part in it for me, it's the fact that I don't think that this show fully knows what to do with Penelope's romantic life. And they haven't figured that out yet in a way that gen- gen- generally feels satisfying. Um, and that comes through a little bit here, but it's also on purpose that it's not supposed to feel satisfying in this particular season. Um, so generally it's really, really good. Everyone, please go watch it or just have it on in the background. So Netflix thinks you're watching it. (laughs) Um, because I want more episodes. Kate will want more episodes. Um, hopefully, how did you feel about season three? I liked it a lot. Um, for me, season two is just clearly much better but season three is also very very good um i had some trouble with things that that it sounds like you were more on board with um but a thing i did not have any trouble with was actually what they did with penelope and her love life this season that was clearly very much a choice right the 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 arc with max was such a big part of last season that they wanted to like that's a trouble when you have a character like penelope who you don't you're not interested in showing her in a relationship for like you're not interested in exploring that part of her life uh, in this season where you go she is terrific and she's gorgeous and why wouldn't she be dating unless she doesn't want to you know so like instead uh-huh. they they you know they have her fo- they focus on many other parts of her life and pair her up with who I was actually super ready to ship her with uh Marco right and who she yeah, keeps forgetting so. to text back, um, which is, you know, that that is a, you know, an interesting way to go. And uh, I think a, a well, like kind of faded sort of different type of love interest thing. And then, then when Max shows up in the mm-hmm. finale, it's like instant chemistry again. You're like, oh, but he still probably wants a baby. So can't undo that. Um, and but, but you can you can then see where she, 
why she's at where she's at in her love life and that she's not focusing on that right now because what's more important to her right now is her graduation and these other elements of her life that, that, you know, they've been building to for so long. Um, the stuff with, uh, Elena and Sid, I loved, uh, I love the whole significant other thing. Very well done. I think, uh, the first time is an excellent episode. There's a lot of really good stuff with her. There's a lot of really good stuff with Alex. I really liked uh, Nip It in the Bud. But, like, the mm-hmm. the brother episode I didn't think worked all that well. I mean, it was fine. Don't get me wrong. When I say it doesn't work well for one day at a time, I mean it is only good to very good. Not like didn't it didn't blow my mind. It just was highly entertaining. And that's sort of how I felt about Hermanos. And I had trouble with the ending with the last arc uh for for schneider because it felt like they pulled their punches and it felt like they didn't really commit and it 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 was one of the times the season where it felt very very special episode in a way that the show has known that they were doing that but but brought more uh stakes and and more authenticity to in the previous seasons um it just it felt like he they they weren't willing to go as nasty as the character's history like indicates that they should have for a Schneider who's who's uh who's you know lost uh his uh sobriety chip you know who 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 is uh you know back to drinking and other bad habits there's some stuff that they absolutely nail for example, the costuming blew my mind when I saw that. Um, did you see that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm, I need you to be more specific. They have him in the same shirt. When he's talking with Penelope about how much it meant to him when she let him pick up Alex from the game, that's a season mm-hmm. one episode, yeah. and he's wearing the same shirt in that scene as he was oh, okay. in that episode when he picks Alex up and they come home. Um, like, so they're like that attention to detail and those through lines are really potent and powerful. Um, but I really felt like it's just like, was that, is that really enough to get him to, to like sober back up? Do you, I mean, what do you think? Um, I think it's potentially enough to get him to sober back up. I do the whole sobriety thing, um, is a little challenging on one level in that this the season as a whole plays it up super hard. Like, you know from like episode two that it's like, no, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have Schneider uh backslide real fast. Um, see, I didn't see it coming. They, I mean I did because you really because you told me to. <laughs> but like Yeah, well no, because it's just like they make such a big deal out of it of like um uh, Tobolsky's ki- Leslie being like, yeah, no, I'm pretty proud of you. And then that whole thing and like putting the chip in the frame and all this sort of stuff. It's just like, oh no, we're making too big a deal out of his sobriety that this is going to be an issue. <laughs> yeah, I and... guess. But like the, in the finale last season, they so strongly linked his sobriety to his connection with that family, with his speech to Lydia. That it yeah. felt absolutely appropriate to me. And, and I mean, yes, when you know where they're going, you can, like, I could see how for you, it, like you talked about last, last episode, that it was felt like a little heavy handed. But for me, it felt appropriate. It felt like they weren't ignoring the fact that he, he is, has been sober now for eight years. They, that timeline had been established mm-hmm. previously in the show. And that is a, 
important part, one part, but an important part of who he is. Whereas on other shows, I feel like they forget when they have characters who are recovering alcoholics. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I, I just, I gen- it just generally felt like really on the nose here for me. Mm-hmm. And I can't really put a finger on why. Um, apart from the fact that I just felt like they were mentioning it a lot. I do think that his dad, really delightfully played by Alan Rock. Oh, perfect casting. Um, it's just kind of too perfect, really. Because yeah. um, Rock just comes in and he has like, what, maybe three to four scenes in that entire episode? And is just perfectly established because of the work that they put into establishing him off screen, basically, through Schneider's dialogue. Um, that Ruck just comes in and goes, oh, no, 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 no. I saw all the episodes. I got this. <laughs> um, that it it works really, really nicely. But that is a sort of a tipping point of the fact that he, he being Schneider, recognized the fact that he was about to do something that was really going to hurt this family makes sense to me as a falling off the wagon sort of thing. And so that there's this sort of shame spiral that and coupled with the fact of dealing with his father that th- he would naturally turn to booze um, in this situation and just kind of keep sort of shame spiraling almost until he ends up drunk and that amazingly gorgeous mm-hmm. um, going to raise the rent in so many ways laundry room um, and just as a sidebar seeing that laundry room and then juxtaposing it against the laundry room in Broad City was <laughs> just so great <laughs> um, so I, I so I bought it um, I do agree with you that they do kind of pull punches, however, in that, like, all the stuff with his uh, paramour happens off screen, except for the resolution, which I didn't care for, um, as that is something that I felt should have been on screen because their connection of, like, no, we're both really rich. I have a tiny house in my ballroom is just delicious. It's really good. And should have we should have gotten to see that, really, as opposed to just the resolution of it. Um, but I do think that the meanness of everything mellows out because of his connection with, um, the family. So that I'm willing to go with, but I do think that they did pull punches and like, this wasn't given maybe as much time as it needed, but it's also one of those things where I go, but there's going to be a lot more through line in season four about this of like, Schneider needing to rebuild that kind of trust and the fact that Penelope is going to hold him accountable for this kind of a thing. And that is something that excites me for season four. Knock on wood, please pray, um, send good thoughts, bribe Netflix, somehow give them another billion dollars, but say it's only for one day at a time um, to make another 80 seasons of it. So that's kind of where I land on it is that if it's set up for something better, um or more involved hopefully hopefully um that we'll get to hopefully hopefully see yeah and you know like it made sense that this season was going to be the season that they give schneider the big you know arc mm-hmm. um and and right. Grinnell, i mean like when i was thinking at the end of the year about performances and and writing up my justina machado blurb for how terrific she was in season two i kept coming back to actually how good he is because like uh-huh. he's got a he's he's the character who listens 
Most of these other yes. characters, I mean, Alex does somewhat, but most of these other characters don't listen to each other. And um, that's part of their personality. And so that makes him all the more crucial uh, in in the scenes where he's in. Um, the, the that type of reactive performance, and it's it would be so easy for that character to be obnoxious in many different ways. <laughs> um, and so so to have him bring the right level of ridiculous, the right level of sincere, like to, to he really threads the needle with that character throughout the run, and does just it's, it, and I feel like a lot of times it's journeyman work where like you're not going to get attention for doing a really good job but if you had somebody who wasn't as good in that role it like the whole thing would not work the balance would be off you know um so it so i appreciate that he got more of a spotlight i just uh like you i'm looking forward to what next season will hopefully bring um speaking of i also really enjoyed the tag at the very end uh are you looking forward to cuba um I'm looking forward to Cuba if they can actually go to Cuba. Uh-huh. I am not looking forward to Cuba if it's all in a soundstage. Fair enough. Um, which I, 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 is just, they will almost certainly probably do it on a soundstage and that's fine. But I think that there's something about being able to actually go to Cuba that will make a big difference for the show's energy and just vibe. Um, though, again, budgetarily, this is an elementary where they can just jaunt off to actually jaunt off to London. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but at the same time, Netflix has so much money, Kate, um, yeah. that they could just send them to Cuba for a little while. They can just send Tobolsky and Rita Moreno and just keep costs down that way. Um, but I really like the fact that the, even if they just do it in sound stages, I like the fact that they did go to Cuba. Um, narratively, character from a character perspective, and also just the fact that we will probably be t- treated to a looser Tobolsky, um, looser Leslie. Yeah, Tobolsky. Yeah. He, yeah, and just like, when you talk about uh, Todd Grinnell being just really good, but Tobolsky this season just, they do so many different things with Leslie this year that and allowed Tobolsky to do a number of like also sort of different things from just like his the whole thing in the car with Elena is really good but also just the whole ridiculous incognito look at the bar um it's just and then taking the to pay off it's all really good and so I, the, the prospect of them allowing Tobolsky to loosen up as Leslie in this kind of a setting, plus maybe sort of push their relationship a little bit more. I'm very excited about. Yeah, definitely. And like, that is a character who should be pathetic and sad, but we care right. about him. So he's not. Yes. And right. we care about him because of the way he's written. We care about him because of the relationships that he has with our, our main cast and how they interact with him and we care about him because he's Stephen Tobolowski and Stephen Tobolowski yeah. is very good at his job. Um, so, yes, so like, is. again, like I was saying with Grinnell, finding the right level of ridiculous and over the top and like incredibly broad. And then with these little touches of nuance and, and really like very human moments, like when he's talking about, Oh, she let me give her money in person with his daughter. Like that shouldn't work, but he makes it work. No, he does. And yeah, no, the character should be pathetic and sad, 
but there's a there's a really quiet sort of dignity that both the performer and the writers give him Mm -hmm. in his dedication to them um to this family and and his willingness to be vulnerable in front of them as well mirrors a lot of what they do with schneider without feeling like they're repeating themselves yeah indeed well and they're just they just look so different <laughs> you know yes there's that, also that. that that it really helps well and it makes them a fun like buddy pairing when they do get their yeah. moments which is nice um let me yeah. see anything to add about alex other than enjoying his four months of grounding yeah and i liked how that four months of grounding transitioned to him being the one that everyone sort of like needed to turn to because he was just always around and this yeah. idea that he becomes a better listener and more empathetic because of the fact that he's grounded, I really like. And I like how sort of um, understated that's, that is for the show um, and for him. So hopefully, again, this is something I want, I'm interested in seeing more of next season. Yeah, definitely. Um, Lydia? Uh, I mean, we got to talk about Stone Lydia, I think, a little bit. I, I, I just have to say how much I appreciate the fact that they really limited that um mm-hmm. because you could have just done a whole episode of stone lydia and instead it's basically two things at the opera and then watching rita moreno eat poor cheetos into her mouth and <laughs> it's just like that is the correct amount of this and it's very well done because rita moreno is an international treasure but it's just really mm-hmm. delightful and i really I really, I just, I really like it. And it just makes me very happy. But I sort of tangentially connected to Lydia. I like how they used um, uh, the the patriarch of the family in Visions, this time with Penelope, as opposed to with Lydia. Mm -hmm. And I just really liked that symmetry of how that worked. And I thought that worked really, really nicely. I also enjoyed the callback to it. I'm ready. No. Yeah. No. No. Oh. no. <laughs> yeah. That was that was a, that was a fun touch at the end. Um. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. The uh the stuff with Elena. I think after she'd gotten such a focus in previous seasons, I think it was smart to taper her down a little bit this season. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the stuff that she did get was really great and very in character. Um. I loved everything with Sid. They're just terrific and continue to be uh just such a delightfully specific character and the dynamic that that they have with uh with elena is like terrific it's it's so like they're they're such nerds and it's such a beautiful thing to see that in the that you can believe watching it that this is a ridiculously nerdy queer couple that can exist and be happy as teenagers now in where they live you know where they go to school they have to be careful about where they go there's a whole episode about it but like that's a beautiful thing to see it's super beautiful and to watch basically have 
one Valentine's Day at a time, followed by the first time, like, back-to-back, mm-hmm. is really lovely from a relationship perspective for the two of them, since One Day at a Time is all about Sid just really wanting to go to Benihana. For uh-huh. the love of God, I just want to go to Benihana. Even though, <laughs> as a human being, I dislike Benihana immensely. I don't like hibachi at all, because all the food ends up tasting exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but I appreciate the fact of how badly they wanted to go to Benihana, and how much Elena just didn't under- didn't grasp that. <laughs> and so, just that was really hilarious but then the first time i think is just really well executed from their interactions with the hotel concierge to musicians the musicians it's just so good and that he bought all of that was also just delightful um but also just elena's whole like back and forth about whether or not she was ready to have sex and then the sort of like the the how it threw her that sid had already had at least a couple of other partners. And the tension between all of that just really struck home, but it also hit really well with, like, Elena on a performance level of, like, her whole going back and forth in the hotel room was really, really great. So if I just could pick two episodes to watch over and over again, it would probably be these two, because they're just so good. Yeah. No, definitely. They're really, they're really... uh well positioned in the season two and this is clearly Uh like they reordered some of this stuff you know like the funeral shouldn't be the first episode uh because there's no cane discussion in that like so they moved some things around so they could have their big guest star episode first but um but i think yeah the placement for those two worked really well um the episode there's two more things that we need to talk about i think um yeah we need to talk about the support group i loved how front and center they were all season long and yes. then uh, we should talk. We need to talk about anxiety, uh, which I liked, right. but I think not as much as you did. Yeah, and so yeah, I really like how front and center the uh, support group is as well, except for those two women who are always on the edge of the, <laughs> who are always in those chairs that are you only see their backs, and then I feel bad for those two women because um, they don't even get to cheat into the frame. <laughs> um, but it's. Anytime a show goes, right, we've got Judy Reyes for three weeks, everyone, because <laughs> then she has to go back to Claws. We're going to use her. And it's just really good. But also, like, seeing the uh, Penelope out with other people that aren't her family is always a really nice thing, especially for sitcoms where it's too easy for the main cast to feel a little too stitched together, like, at, at the at the hip. So uh, giving Penelope that space, I think, is really, really good. And allowing those sort of different perspectives to come out um, and allowing giving Penelope sounding boards, I think, is really important. But also, just the Judy Reyes of it all, Kate, just the Judy Reyes of it all is so good. Yeah, definitely. And, like, it just makes Penelope such a more rounded and honest person person like character and portrayal because she exists outside of these two spheres where we usually Mm -hmm. see her of her home and then maybe her work or her kids school and uh and it also really hammers home how important her mental health is and that this is a lesson that she you know so she went through and her you know deal with that in season two and she has learned from that and she continues to follow through with going to therapy and and 
it has been destigmatized in their home and it really i think is is important and also it is a great opportunity for them to bring in other trans and queer characters you, like they're walking the walk here with representation on, yes. on one day at a time and without defining these characters like if they're defined by anything they're defined by their ptsd and their experiences as veterans right yes and and i love that that the that this is a show that isn't just going to have one or two like one one queer character and then her significant other and her significant other but then also have just other voices that can contribute to the conversations that the show wants to have um, touching on those spheres of queer identity and dating when they, when it's appropriate to the story. Um, It's, it's great. It is. It's so great. And which leads us into anxiety, I think in terms of Mm -hmm. using the support group as sort of a framing device to explore the episode. And I do agree that this episode isn't as strong as the antidepressants episode. Um, and it's probably not as good as the VA hotline episode, which is probably the trio of episodes that these kind of fall into a line with to a certain degree. Um, but I do really like how they depict anxiety as sort of a washing out of color as opposed to something in which things get louder or brighter because you're more anxious, but instead everything gets kind of washed out. Um, and I like that concept and that representation of that, um, because the other way is a much easier way to depict that. But this causes, I think, you to focus a lot more on what's happening. And I like that aspect of it as well. Um, and then they do get a little heavy on the, um, on the, um, anxiety sweat, um, perspiration makeup that they do. <laughs> Um, but I think that you do also have to sell that to a certain degree because it's really hard to have that come through enough. Um, my only really critique of the episode generally is that there's still plenty of other avenues that grappling with anxiety is like a multifaceted sort of thing and so coping different coping strategies work in different situations and the episode generally i think does an okay job with that but there's still like more discussion about like therapy or like which is what penelope's doing at the support group but also like medication and that doesn't really totally get discussed and i worry and i think that's probably because they didn't want to overlap too much with last season's uh sort of big emotional episode uh, mental health episode, I should say. And so there's that element of it. But I still like the fact that you get to see different sort of support mechanisms in the episode. Um, but what was it about you for you that this episode didn't quite land? Well, I liked the concept and the idea uh-huh. of how they showed the anxiety attack. But I mean, basically, I think what it is is I wanted them to have a bigger budget. Okay. Um, I wanted them to be able to like gradually fade into it. And, like, have the color seep out as the scene, like, kind of pivots and you realize that they're, that they were, you're not in, you know, reality anymore. You're in how how Penelope or later Elena's brain is processing reality, you know? Because um, it just felt, it was very jarring to me. Um, and, and it felt, like, stagey in a way that the other very special, like, Penelope episodes have not. Um so 
Yeah, it did, like. I, I guess, it, like, if it, if it had been, like, a gradual thing, then as the panic attack builds, it gets more and more washed out until then it's black and white. That would have been much more a much more elegant visual metaphor for me, I think. Um, and then, like, have the color, like, seep back in slowly with the dog videos or whatever, like, the different things, the coping mechanisms that the characters discuss. Um because, like, the actual episode itself, like, the content, I was fine with. I'm glad that they're examining anxiety. I liked the... I mean, I think you were right. They needed to go big with the sweats so that it would read on camera. Um, and so, like, I was good with, like, pretty much everything. The content, I guess. But it just... the It didn't... I just keep going back to Elgin. It didn't feel as seamless and as effortless as the other... Like, the depression episode and antidepressants episode. And then the VA episode felt yeah and i can see what you mean to a certain degree about the kind of staginess of it even though i would argue that like the the va hotline episode is ridiculously stagey but in a really good way um Mm -hmm. and like one that i singled it out for being theatrical and that's why it's good this is the power of the multi-camp sitcom at work thank you um but I can see where you're coming from with that. Um, yeah, it's just, I would have, I I do agree that sort of a fading in and out, depending on the anxiety attack, um, would have worked better. But generally, I do think that plenty of anxiety attacks just kind of happen and that fade out happens without even a fade out. It just transitions yeah, immediately. Just it just cuts. Yeah. 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 No, but I mean, like again, when I say I only I didn't like it as much. Yeah. that's listeners. That's for a one day at a time episode. Yeah. So of course I still really enjoyed it, and I would encourage any of our listeners who have gotten this far who haven't seen One Day at a Time, which would be very strange to me. But if you do exist out there, watch One Day at a Time. Start at the beginning, not because you need to, but because it's really good. Yeah, and you know, it's, again, it takes like three, four episodes to get over some of the stuff. Like it's a little slow at first. The laugh track is a little much at the beginning, but like, trust there, us, it gets it's there. It's not a laugh track. It's a studio audience. The live studio audience. I roll. You know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, any final thoughts on one day at a time? Um, no, just that everyone should watch it multiple times. So Netflix thinks you're, doesn't care if you're goosing it. Yeah. I look forward <laughs> to wa- discussing season four with you when it happens, Noel, because it's, it's going to. Yeah, next year around this time. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. Uh, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook, start a conversation there. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com, and you can leave us a rating or review in iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. I'm also up in Stitcher. We'd appreciate comments and ratings and reviews over there as well. And, of course, we are both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Noel. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.